welcome back to another episode of the Language Lounge. My name is Michelle Ola, and I am the lucky person that gets to host this podcast and gets to talk to amazing, wonderful people like Dr. Victoria Gilbert. So, Tori, I am so excited to have you on this podcast today. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be in such amazing company. And I'm thrilled to talk with you today about oh, we just, the research. We, I'm just excited. It's a beautiful, beautiful Saturday morning. Yeah, we get to talk about mm-hmm. research on a beautiful Saturday morning. <laughs> How can we can't go wrong with that, right? So, I, nope. I mean, I don't know. We're we're super geeky, aren't we? And that's okay. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna embrace <laughs> it today. So we're gonna we're embrace gonna the out, data. Yes. Embrace the. We are. We're gonna embrace it all. So. I just love this. So this was a presentation that you did for NEL, the National Network for Early Language Learning, I think last summer. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it's one of those things where we talk about like data research and we're like, oh, I don't know. I can't do that. That's not, you know, that's not something in my wheelhouse. I'm a teacher. Um, And I just loved how passionate you were about it and your approach to it. So I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. So the first thing is, why should teachers consider doing their own action research or some types of research? And we're going to get into some different kinds. So why do you think this is important? Well, first of all, to me, a teacher is a professional. And as professionals, we're constantly looking for ways to grow and be able to learn from others and from each other. And I think that as teachers, we're best situated to identify those problems that might show up in our classroom and to investigate the things that are going to impact our classroom. So when you want to be connected to the research that's going on beyond your classroom, that's great and that's part of your growth and professional development. But it's also important to have a real understanding of what's going on when you try a new technique or when you think you might want to you know, execute this new idea um, and you're not really sure what the impact might I mean, you might see something happening with your students, but you're not really sure why. Um, And I think that also sort of investigating in your own classroom builds that reflective muscle. It's a muscle that we all use every day at the end of our day when we sort of think, oh, that was a great day or wow, that didn't go at all the way I thought it. But to go beyond those sort of two thoughts and to really delve in takes a little bit of practice and a little bit of framing for yourself so you can bring that back to your next choice. Um, I know that there are studies you know, analyzing how many choices and decisions a teacher makes at any moment, um, and there's so much that we have to account for, but conducting research in your own classroom really strengthens that kind of approach. I, the two things that you said that just I think are so important, and that is like you decide, I decide as a teacher, mm-hmm. right? Like we are used to people telling us what we need to be focusing on, and I think us saying, this is what I want to look at. This is what I want to explore in my classroom because this is what I see, right? And I love that you say that, you know, we're the best people that are positioned to kind of do some of this. Um, I think that's amazing. Uh, And reflection, I'm a huge, it's so hard to do, but once you get a systematic way of um, reflecting, I think it is one of the most powerful things a teacher can do. And, uh, you know, like you said, decisions, I think teaching is like a fire hose, like being just, 
you know, sprayed on you at all times. And, mm-hmm. and to me, like reflection is like taking that fire hose and trying to distill out like what are the important things that happened and what can I or can't I do about it? And just kind of to process that massive stream of, you know, data that we're getting mm-hmm. all the time as teachers and to kind of, you know, make it more manageable. So I think those are some really powerful things, but isn't action resource like hard? And isn't that going to add like this massive amount of work on my page? So tell me how, (laughs) how, what are different types of research that teachers can do? I know I'm, I'm leading you in this direction because I think that was my first thought. My first thought is I can't ask teachers to do more in their classroom. Nobody should ask teachers to do more. Right. Um, so how can we do this? But I, I love the different options that teachers have. So tell us yeah. about some of the options that teachers have to do this in a way that's manageable for them and impactful to their learning and their teaching. So there's everything from sort of a little start to a much deeper investment and a longer commitment. And I think that that spectrum makes it easier for people to consider entering that pathway. So as you mentioned, reflection is huge. And there's reflection that happens in action while you're actually teaching. You are already reflecting and starting to process some of the choices that you're making. Um, And then there's reflection after action. So just that practice of trying to contemplate and think about what it is that you're doing in order to better understand it um, is one step that you can take. And to try and bring that awareness of why you're making a choice. And then what happens with teaching so often is that very on very quickly we're onto something else. So even if getting in the practice of making a little post-it note, a jot, um, speaking into your phone as you're driving home if you're a driver, or you know, m- making some notes to yourself as you're commuting about exactly what happened that day, because we all think, oh yes, I'll remember that when I teach this lesson next year, when I teach the same theme, and you really don't. So you wanna capture the best of your thinking while it's freshest. And if you build a habit of reflection, that's just one place to get started. Um, And it could be about anything. As you said before, the important thing is it's something that you choose to focus on. So something as simple as just documenting your reflective practice and what you're thinking about. Um, And sometimes that leads you to the sort of the next step. I think of it analogous to wading into a pool. You're in the shallow end. You want to get your feet wet, but you're not really sure you want to go any deeper than that. That's great. Get your feet wet. Get to know how your brain is processing these things. Get to know... um, what you are excited about thinking about and and what sort of drives you in as you examine your practice. It's really about asking yourself why you do the things you do. Once you might noodle around with some ideas, you might get a question that starts to gel or form, you know, gets formulated around a specific issue. So for example, um, a teacher that I worked with was really interested to know what her second grade and first grade students thought was distracting in her classroom. And we have a small professional learning network that we do, and everybody's, I'll tell you how to get involved if you want to, but that's just something we do with each other. Um, And when she came with her idea to our group, one of the other people involved said, well, why don't you have them put a post-it on anything that's distracting and not really helpful to them as they're learning language? And together we decided that she would have two color post-its and the girls in her school would color code what was distracting and what wasn't. And it ended up being so interesting because things that she'd never even considered, like a birthday chart with all the girls' birthdays posted, it was an all-girls school, um, was the Uh most distracting Uh thing. (laughs) 
And when you think about it, a second really? grader really, really focuses a lot on her birthday and the other girls' birthdays. And while it's something that as language teachers, we want to teach, you know, girls how to celebrate and say and, and ask each other about, um, you don't necessarily want that to be the first thing they see as they walk into the classroom. So she was able to very quickly take an action that changed what helped her students learn better. Um, and that's just one example. There were other things. And, and that made it much easier for her to adjust her practice for the benefit of students, which is what this is all about. Um, but that sort of investigation is what we might call exploratory practice, where you're going to take some action to try and understand better what's going on in your classroom. And the action she took was to have her students identify distracting and non-distracting. And to think that, you know, a bunch of eight-year-olds or seven-year-olds can help you answer that question is really exciting. And it gives them agency as well. Another example is of a, of a study that a college teacher did when they found that the warm-up activities were really not very exciting. And the students just didn't seem to get engaged. And so he turned it around and asked them, surveyed them through Google survey, what sort of warm-up activities would be helpful. And it was, again, using that student feedback, which a lot of us do, but collecting it in a way that's more systematic and that's focused enough so that the information you get really helps you adjust your practice to be better. The thing that I'm thinking, like spinning through my head right now, are all the times when I ask myself, like, why is my fourth period so crazy when they come in for lunch and what could I do? But I didn't actually do anything about it. Right. I just thought these mm -hmm. thoughts. And I, and what I love when I hear you saying is like, just trying to capture those into a question mm -hmm. and then start to systematically think about either through an exploratory practice where you ask them, like, when you come in, what are you thinking and what can we do to switch your brain to Spanish or whatever it might be, like just that mm -hmm. beginning thought could have an amazing impact on, it, you know, our teaching and learning, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then just think how valued uh, you feel as a student if your teacher is asking you for that feedback, right? I matter. Yeah. I matter to this, you know, yeah. adventure in, in learning and what I have to say could have an impact. So it's, it, it's important oh, to ask that. the questions. It's important to listen to the answers. Um, and then I think this, you know, to continue the analogy of sort of wading into a pool, at that point you're kind of jumping around. Maybe you're playing a little bit of uh, Marco Polo and, and splashing here and there. You're not necessarily, you know, off the deep end yet. But really the next level of commitment would be something called action research. So when you do action research, it's kind of like taking a deep dive into the other end of the pool. You want to surround yourself with literature and information about previous studies in that area. You really want to develop that expertise. So we're now talking about the level of commitment of maybe taking a graduate school class. You're going to have a refined question, and you're definitely going to collect data. Maybe you're going to collect data outside of your classroom even. Um, maybe you're going to interview students in their free time, your free time, lunch period, whenever you can squeeze it in. Um, but you're doing something that's a little bit more substantial than just investigating and exploring a puzzle of sorts that we would normally describe as part of exploratory practice. And I think that by developing that expertise, people tend to get very excited and just want to keep doing more. Because the wonderful thing about action research level is that it's a spiral. So once you start investigating one question, you end up being interested in other parts tangential to that first question as well. And so sometimes it's really hard to stop. 
<laughs> you want to continue to, to investigate. You want to continue to read in that area. And as you're building up your expertise, um, what I say to the researchers that I mentor, it's kind of like entering that dinner table conversation. You now know what everybody at the table is talking about. And you might even feel that you have something to contribute. And one of the most exciting things, I think, for teachers to um, experience is the app. Uh, the opportunity to publish the results of their research so that they can quite legitimately join that conversation and be able to contribute to other teachers who are interested in the same thing. So one of the other examples of sort of going off the the deeper end of that pool and making a larger commitment in doing action research um, is a science teacher at my school who was very interested in the impact of a genius project on his students' sort of self-concept as scientists and capacity to act as scientists. And when the students started investigating everything from how to cook the perfect steak to how to make a basketball to how to hypnotize a fellow student, um, it was fascinating to see the large and wide range of choices that they um, made to explore and even better, the impact that it had on their self-confidence as being able to do investigative science. And um, this was such a fascinating study. He actually took the time to write it up, and um, it was published. So we were all very excited for him because not only did he benefit and his students benefit from this work, but it was also able to be shared with a larger audience, which means more teachers and students could benefit. And I think that that's sort of one of the great things about um making that larger commitment. It's kind of like coming to a dinner conversation at the table and being able to participate and understand what each side of the table is bringing to their perspective or you know, contributing in terms of what they think um, should move the conversation forward in the research field. And when you feel like you have something to say and respond as well, it can be very exciting and um, very empowering for a teacher. I mean, that's so much more than anything you might ever do in school or, or in a you know, professional workshop setting um, to be able to contribute in that way. So I find that teachers who make the larger commitment to the action research really float on air for years to come. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, like you said, it is so important that teachers have a seat at that table, that our yes. voices that of people in the classroom are being discussed and and that we are we are doing that talking and we are doing that contributing right yeah and we we have a legitimate claim to that knowledge um you know a lot of teachers have an incredible amount of knowledge which we refer to as tacit something they've just come to know because of their experience and over the years but how gratifying to know that your instincts and your reflections can lead you to a place where what you've known or um you know think you know can be either affirmed or disconfirmed. Sometimes we learn even more when we're wrong. Um, I know that one of the things I learned in, in doing my dissertation was that I thought teacher autonomy was the most important thing in terms of a teacher's sense of efficacy, thinking that they could do something and be effective. And it turned out that that wasn't it. Um, all of the teachers ah. in the focus groups that I spoke to said it was a collegiality. It was a sense of being able to work with other teachers that made them feel most effective. And if you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, as human beings, we're social. We, we want to work with others. And teaching can be a very isolating uh, experience. So when we have other colleagues to help us through, that really makes us feel effective. And that makes us want to keep trying sometimes when it gets really hard. 
Wow, that is so cool. That is so interesting. I and and again, I think that's the other thing. Um, not not knowing the answer for sure. You mm-hmm. go in with your own ideas, your own questions, your own puzzles, but going through that resource process really can help, you know, like you said, maybe turn you around, maybe, you know, in a totally different direction that you didn't even think of before. Right. Um, because you came in with your set sort mm-hmm. of ideas, right? I mean, um, we, we all do, no, no matter yeah. how much we try, right, to, to yeah. remove any bias or, or, or you have to be very honest with yourself. And it, it's a concept referred to as reflexivity, like really, what are you bringing to the table? And what are those preconceived notions that you might need to address? And, and really, um, I mean, I think it's one of the wonderful things about qualitative research, you can sort of have a member check if you've been doing interviews or other kind of data that involves um, that sort of quality, you can go back to people and say, here's my analysis. This is what I've been thinking. This is how I interpret this. Does this make sense to you? Um, Or do you see something else? And I love that aspect of the research because then it's a collaborative process um, and it's really a wonderful way to build knowledge for a whole team. That's great. So one of the things I think... um, makes me hesitant, let's say, about mm-hmm. research is that, okay, I did a master's program, I did my teacher's education, I've read research articles, and just the thought of opening up some <laughs> of these research articles, and trying to plod my way through understanding through the very technical and the jargon and all mm-hmm, of the, mm-hmm. the things, you know, can be intimidating, right? That can be something that can be a barrier, a challenge to me, you know, to understanding the research. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of me says, yeah, that's why we need more teachers doing research is so that we can actually <laughs> all understand each other. Um, but in a real way, what suggestions do you have for for understanding the, the current research database that's already out there? Because, mm-hmm. some, you know, that can be that can be hard. It, it, it could be a total turnoff. Um, I, I agree that that can make your first experience is is, is uh, one of wanting to master the articles that you read. And you don't necessarily write from the start. Um, it's like anything else. It takes practice. It takes familiarity with the turns of phrase and language that people use. Um, but one of the best things that I find for people is to just pick up an article in an area of interest. And there are several different ways. I, I'm, I'm building a website called Educator Inquiry, uh, where I give you some ideas on how to you know, do this. But it, it should just be something as simple as picking up the article, and maybe just reading the abstract, nothing more, just to see if it's of interest to you, um, because that's a short you know, summary of what the article is going to be. And then don't feel like it's every other book you've ever had to pick up and read from start to end. Start at the end. Read the conclusions of the study. If those grab you, and those are usually written in the clearest language of the whole paper, um, then maybe it's worth delving into the other parts. But you don't. nobody's saying you have to read the whole article. Um, and if you're just starting out, that might be more than you want to start with. So I think that you kind of have to find a way in without feeling that you're going to be examined or tested or, you know, have to pass the test. You're just trying to get an idea of what the point of that particular article was. And you'll find that as you tend to read more articles on the same subject, it's, again, you're entering into that dinner table conversation and sometimes you can just listen to what people are saying to each other. You don't have to contribute just to start. You can just listen and take it in. And you'll find that as you start to read more about the same topic, 
it really helps you to understand and give you that context. It's like we know building a good reader, it helps if they have some life experience or context, some schema with which to take in that information. And it's the same for you. You have to build up that context for yourself. Um, one, another thing that teachers should know is that there are many journals now that have sort of practical teacher advice articles, as well as the more academic ones. So maybe you start with that version. Um, and I think that that's one way to sort of get your feet wet without feeling like you have to jump in to the deep end. I think that's great. So I am going to say one of the things I've seen out there lately um, as well, and I have used it and it has helped me is using AI. So like chat GPT. <laughs> so there was, and, and it's partly time because we all know teachers don't mm-hmm. always have a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also just, I have no desire to know every little tiny technical term on something. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, you can copy and paste, a an abstract in there and ask them to summarize it in, in simpler terms, or what are the key sort of phrases and at least as a start. And again, mm-hmm. I don't, recommend using that as your end result, but as a start of whether this is something that is going to be valuable to me, is this article worth me kind of digging into, or this, this area of theory or, or practice, is this something that is going to make sense to me, my teachers, my, my students or whatever? Um, I think that's a great way to, to start too. And again, it's better than not right so it's it's that entry it's that entry point of like let's think about this and then Mm -hmm. i think like most probably humans in general but teachers in particular i think we get this little kernel of a thought of an idea of a like you said like of a puzzle of a what's you know what's going on here and we do want to understand it Mm -hmm. we do want to serve the people in front of us, whether it's teachers or students better, right. In a, right. in the best way possible. Um, we have the best intentions, but we always don't, don't always know where to go or to start with that. And we kind of let that one little thought just ruminate, but it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so what I love of what you're saying is that let's, let's get that little thought of why are those, you know, eighth graders so crazy after lunch and what in the heck can I do about <laughs> it? Instead of just like throwing all these random ideas out there and then not know, not really following or, or, you know, uh, paying attention to collecting data on, well, did that work? Did like a little bit of yoga after work consistently work or mm-hmm. did it work once? Cause it was novel. And then they went back to being crazy. Right. Or whatever it might be. Right. Um, you can tell what my main concern was when I was teaching middle schoolers after lunch, right? Oh, or middle impossible. schoolers before lunch. It's even harder <laughs> right. sometimes. I used to have a bowl of fruit yes, underneath my yes. desk, which was forbidden, but I had it anyway because, you know, if somebody's that hungry before lunch that they want a piece of fruit, yeah. God bless them. Let them have it. Let them have yeah. it and move on, you know? it's So, so again, like, I, I just love that idea of this being a little more systematic. Mm-hmm. And even though it seems, it's like, it's like, uh, I don't know. It, it it seems almost contrary, but like to actually do the work to be more systematic and routine about it actually sounds a less stressful to me and actually sounds, you know, more productive because I'm putting the chaos of all of those, those questions I have in a way that I can manage it and mm-hmm. maybe look at it and do something about it in a, in a, in a very strategic, deliberate sort of way. Yes, and one of the things that's wonderful about exploratory practice, they, they refer to the data that you would collect as PEPAS, pedagogically, potentially exploitable pedagogical activities, which is a 
fancy term peppa i was gonna say let's break that down because i I, I do love peppa pig as an elementary school teacher so i always think of that but um it basically refers to the things that you would collect anyway those exit tickets Mm -hmm. those journal entries that students write the conversations they might have so it's things that you might be collecting anyway um, in a classroom that would help you to answer those questions so again you're not moving beyond the classroom day the classroom hours classroom minutes you're working with that group of students to try and understand better that puzzle that's been sort of, you know, in the back of your brain. Um, so I think that that's really one wonderful aspect that this is, again, not something that you have to do full on from the very start, but sort of dip your toe in, get used to the water, play around with it a bit before you dive off the deep end. And if you don't ever want to dive off the deep end, that's fine, too. There are teachers who are thrilled to learn from you what you've been trying out. Um, and as you said, that it's a systematic, it's the habit of collecting that information in a way that makes it possible to answer one thing at a time, rather than that cluster of so many things that can become chaotic and, and overwhelming. Um, yeah, and, and, and fill our brains and fill our mm-hmm, emotions mm-hmm, and fill our, our mm-hmm. mental space, um, and, and yet not move towards any sort of potential, not that, exactly. not that every question you have has a for sure set, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. answer, but mm-hmm. at least moving towards that, to me, that feels empowering as a teacher um, yeah. to be able to kind of take that step mm-hmm. um, in order to do that. And, and if you do decide to read some of the existing research, you become a consumer of the bibliography, of the references of the yeah. bibliography at the end, because that's going to lead you to your next reading. Um, so sometimes maybe that's where you start altogether. Just and when you mm-hmm. notice that a certain researcher or study is cited over and over again, that's sort of an indicator. That's a really important um, seminal piece of work that you should be familiar with, um, because that may be sort of either the basis of where all of this started, um, or it might have taken things in a new direction. Which is wonderful about actually looking at research over time is that we realize it's not a static thing that people don't continue to think the same thing we've always thought and that things do shift um, and that there are important reasons for those shifts that we want to continue to be aware of as practitioners and and professionals. I love it. Well, is there any other um, advice that you would give any other sort of uh, words of wisdom or practical suggestions of (laughs) topics to start on or places to go? Or um, is it just really just like sticking your toe in and, and grabbing a, grabbing an article, um, you know, following a little path of that little, you know, little niggling idea that's just kind of, you know, floating around in your head. Where, where would you really? Well, I, I think one place to start is your professional organization. Um, whether you belong to a state level organization or, you know, something more national. And either way, they usually have a journal of some sort that you can pick up and and sort of start to flip through or really start with your own most burning question and talk to a colleague about it and say does this sound like something that i could figure out an answer to in my classroom um and as you start that conversation you might realize hmm maybe i should figure it out this way or maybe they have an idea and it helps you go down another i mean it's that's one of the wonderful things about having people who are familiar with your own context and your own situation Again, another teacher in your own building might be the best uh, partner in this kind of adventure. And maybe you just decide to meet once every once in a while to discuss the idea. 
until something more concrete comes to you about how you might want to investigate it. Um, but it really just starts with a conversation, whether that's you with a piece of text or you with another human being. And don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because what's the worst that can happen? You might just learn something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just think that's great. Um, I'm coming off of a conversation that I had with, uh, I don't know which is going to air first, whether it's going to be Stevens or this <laughs> one, um, but we, he talked about national board certification. And I, I hear a lot of the same uh, sort of satisfaction that you can get just by really looking at what you do and that mm-hmm. personal growth and that professional growth that you can get just by asking, you know, taking some time, asking some questions, and then just following that path of how you can kind of get there. And I think, like you said, like, it's not a one and done, is it? Like once you, yeah. <laughs> you know, once you stick your feet in, like you said, or wade in, you know, you might, you know, wade in and wade out and then wade back in, but you know, you don't have to go all the way in, but you're not going to just stand on the, on the shore anymore. Right. I feel like it's That's something it. you're going to keep one question is going to lead to another question is going to lead to another question. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that path of personal growth and professional growth, I think is, you know, really important for us to keep moving forward and, you know, getting better at what we do having, more confidence in what we do, um, and solving all those crazy problems. <laughs> as, as you mentioned before, teacher voices are really important in all of this conversation. And we need to continue to expand the research base to include teacher voices. So I would encourage anyone who would like to share what they learn, whether it's in a workshop setting or a conference or a, you know actual publication, um, to really consider that because ultimately that's where we all benefit. I love it. Well, that to me is the perfect ending of a great conversation <laughs> talking about uh, talking about research, talking about professional and personal growth and learning. And I just want to say thank you so much. I think this has just been really interesting. I'm going to go uh, look at some articles, uh, some books. And, and I actually do have to say, now I don't feel so bad about the stack. Like I a lot of books. <laughs> I buy a lot of books um, on the profession and mm-hmm. I don't always read them front to back. And, you know, maybe that's okay. You're still learning. You're still kind of, you know, consuming some of it, um, but I should probably pull out a few of those again um, and keep, keep moving forward. So thank you so I much. You uh, Dr. Gilbert. <laughs> I appreciate you spending some time with me today and it's been a great conversation. Well, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for what you do, Michelle, and bringing all of this for teachers. Uh, you as well. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye.